0: Hello and welcome to the Forest of Pop Culture Fey. I am Miller C. Lashbrook and I am your fairy host on your journey through this forest of pop culture. This week on Pop Culture Fae, I will be talking about season one of the Disney Plus series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Hope you enjoy. Before we get into the topic for the week, I'm going to go over what stories I've been consuming this week. For books, I've been reading Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, her famous memoir. Uh, I never had to read it for school in K-12 through or college, and so this is kind of my first exposure to it. Great memoir, and just her her way of being poetic, and also, like, straightforward uh, with her language works really well for a memoir and I'm really enjoying it. In comics, I finished Peter Milligan's run on X-Force and am back to reading Grant Morrison's New X-Men. So right now I'm kind of just reading some early 2000s Marvel comics and uh, a lot of X-Men related stuff right now in uh, the order that I am reading and I'm really enjoying that stuff. For TV, Percy Jackson had its final episode this week. We're going to talk about that today as part of our topic. And some, uh, I've been kind of going back and filling in the gaps of some shows that I kind of missed when they originally aired. So The Good Place and Gravity Falls have been some other shows that I've been watching uh, for the first time. In uh, movies... I've been re-watching the X-Men movies. I mean, with the comics I've been reading and just getting excited for Deadpool 3 later this year and X-Men 97, I've been just a very X-Men mood. And so I've been re-watching those movies. And uh, in games, I'm still playing Assassin's Creed Origins, as I talked about last week. So that's kind of my week in stories and what I'm consuming a lot of... lot of x-men uh on my mind (laughs) this week uh but i mean it's like one of my top fandoms so that's not not that surprising next up we will talk about our main topic for this week percy jackson and the olympians season one Alrighty. Well, last week we talked about the first Percy Jackson book and, uh, to kind of lead into this. And this week we're talking Percy Jackson and the Olympians season one, uh, on Disney plus. Now, uh, I want to start kind of like going, th- going a little bit, like briefly through how we kind of got here to having a show. I think a lot of people know that there was a movie adaptation of the first book, uh, in the early, like late aughts, um, early 2010s. And, uh, then there was an adaptation of the second book as well, uh, in movie form. Well, neither of those movies were very well received by the fan base and they didn't, Fox did not make any movies after that. And so I think a lot of Percy Jackson fans just thought, well, that's it. We got our try at two movie adaptations. They didn't do well. Uh, and that's it. We're never going to be able to finish the whole series. We're, we're, we will we'll go the way of divergent fans uh, who also never finished the adaptation of the book series rather than uh, being up there with Twilight and Harry Potter as like full YA series that got adapted. Um, But luckily, Disney bought Fox. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, that was kind of what was able to make the show happen. Disney went and bought 20th Century Um, studios and 20th century television from uh, Fox. And when that merger happened, Disney uh, got a bunch of acquisitions with it. And one of those things was the, um, the kind of film slash TV rights to a Percy Jackson adaptation, which is kind of funny that it had to happen that way because the books themselves are published by Disney Hyperion. So these are books that are published by, the, by Disney on the book end of things, um, but the, the rights just didn't end up with Disney when they did the original movie adaptation. So uh, that kind of was able to give Rick Riordan, the author, a little bit of hope, and there were some kind of ideas around bringing the series back. And with the creation of Disney Plus, that was kind of just the perfect storm to create a new adaptation. And luckily Disney looked at what had been done before. And I think they saw that in order to do this right, they needed to have Rick Riordan as a part of that creative process. And luckily they did that so uh the show was created by rick riordan but with the showrunner of john e steinberg who before this had worked on the show black sales as well as the fx series the old man and uh it was created for disney plus a lot of the kind of uh ilm industrial light and magic technology like the volume was used to create this most of the filming was done in vancouver and uh it was um also worked on by um the uh sorry one of the main directors was james bobin and they got bear McCreary of god of war and Lord of the Rings, uh, Rings of Power, Fame, to do the score. In the starring roles, we have Walker Scobill from The Atom Project as Percy Jackson, Leah Sava Jeffries as Annabeth Chase, and Aryan Simhadri as Grover Underwood, amongst a cast of gods and side characters uh, as well. And so we kind of first heard about this show a couple years ago at D23 was when we really started to hear things and they started to tease this show. Then, um, I think about two years ago was when the first tease was released cause they had done a little bit of filming, uh, at D23 to the audience members there and. Uh, Yeah, we slowly got more and more information coming out about casting and filming, and finally, because we knew we were getting it sometime in 2023, finally at the very end of 2023, leading into early this year, we got the series itself. Eight episodes, and two episodes premiered at once for the first week, and then one episode after that every week. And, I mean, being a part of the fandom online and following the show, listening to podcasts who are following the show week to week, it really seems like, for the most part, the book fans really enjoyed this adaptation of the first book uh, and were just like pleasantly surprised with how good of an adaptation it was. Now... Uh, I really enjoyed this as I talked about last week, the lightning thief is just a very special book to me in terms of me growing up and learning to love storytelling uh, and like books and reading and uh, like loving mythology. And I every week have just enjoyed this show so much. I think they kept thing they, they kept the right things and they changed the right things about the show. And it really feels like the writers working with Rick Riordan, they as they were adapting the book, the things that they changed in adapting were done to aid in the transfer of mediums, right? You can't keep everything that the book has in the show because they're different mediums they added things that the book couldn't have, especially because the book is in that first-person Percy perspective. The show, in a really clever way, added scenes that were from other characters' point of views to flesh out the story. But also some of the things that changed were just because time has changed, and we as a society have changed. And so some of the things just like couldn't be the case. Um, and I think, too, some of the changes that I enjoyed seemed seem to be done in an effort to mature the story so that it could simultaneously appeal to the book target audience of that middle grade audience, but also appeal to fans who read the books when they originally came out and all ages in between and above that it really seems like they wanting to take the uh like fantasy approach that the like the care that was given to say like Peter Jackson's uh Lord of the Rings trilogy or to the Harry Potter films in adapting in adapting those. Yeah, and so I mean overall I, I definitely uh, I have five out of five stars for the series adaptation i'm just gonna like kind of go through and give some of my favorite like moments of watching this week to week that uh, i really enjoyed so if you have not watched the series yet i definitely would recommend pausing the podcast here go watching it uh it's eight episodes They're each about 40 minutes, uh, 30 to 40 minutes each. So you could definitely sit down in like one or two days and uh, like watch it through. It's enjoyable. Go watch that and then come back and hear uh, what my favorite moments were. And you can uh, kind of (laughs) assess whether we enjoyed the same parts or not. Okay. So my favorite moments in the show, I think um, if we're thinking I'm going to kind of try to go episode by episode here. I loved seeing the, in the first episode, the like little flashes to the really young Percy. I think one of the things with the first person POV that we get in the book is it's always kind of like forward moving and we get references to the past, but we never see the past in the book like we did here. And so seeing these little moments of Percy growing up as he's narrating was like a great choice to open the series. I loved the little hint at Blackjack that we got in that first episode with him seeing a, black pegasus or black winged horse on um the roof of his school and i really liked how the show uh visualized the mist by having these kind of like human things match cut with the mythical thing so we had that weird like rhinoceros type creature and then a second later we saw a garbage truck there is like what everybody else would see And I thought that was a really cool way to visualize the mist that like it's just for people who aren't demigods right or in that world it would just look like something completely normal to them. Also in episode one the way that they decided to just set dress the cabin at Montauk was really cool with like the stained glass and that like shabby chic aesthetic but it I think one of the things they did with the costuming and the set design for the whole series, everything feels very timeless and not kind of like set in the 2020s, even though technically like, yeah, we know because of like music choices and things in the background, like Gabe's like Jersey that this had to be happening in like 2022, 2023 time period. The, overall like look and aesthetic makes things very timeless which i think that's the key to making any kind of like classic uh, fantasy thing is you don't want it to feel set in a specific time period um and th- we got in that montauk scene like a nice little like joke from Percy when he when his mom tells him that he is the son of a god and he's like wait like jesus right and so i just wanted to point that out because we get jokey percy like the narration gives us in the books just in little doses and so that was like nice that the humor of the book series was still present uh even if it wasn't all the time because we're lacking that narration um Episode two, I mean, just the way the camp was realized, the way that the the cabins have this grandeur to them. They don't look like these like rinky dink little log cabins, and the camp feels like big and open, like you could explore for days the woods around it and the different areas. I also really liked that the they incorporated like existing statues that can be found in places like the met into the camp uh because like if these people like know that the gods exist right they would want to include things like statues and everything in there um just again giving a shout out to the uh set design in Episode three, I mean, a lot of the like behind the scenes stuff that got talked about early on in the press tour kind of like led to episode three and talking about Medusa and that whole sequence. I think episode three really kind of like put a a light on a lot of the themes that Rick wanted to bring into this first season That are important in later books, like in the series. This idea of monsters versus like humanity versus gods, right? Like, how human are the gods and the monsters? How big of monsters are the gods and the humans? And just like blurring the lines between all of those. I think in this episode in particular, they did a really good job of that marking that right tone where if you are familiar with the myth or with different versions of the, of the Medusa story, you can bring those things um, in your own way with your own like connotation to the show and see the deeper meaning there without them being explicit about the, matru- the more mature aspects of the myth for that younger audience. And so it wasn't like they weren't taking this serious thing from the myth seriously, it just wasn't explicitly stated, so that way you could kind of bring your own understanding to that myth, if you will. I think for a lot of people, one of the standout episodes is episode four, because we finally got the St. Louis, uh, and like a kidna chimera sequence that was missing in the movie adaptation. Instead of going to St. Louis, they weirdly like go to Nashville and there's a Hydra. <laughs> and so we finally got to see that here. Um, we, I'm just like, The CG that was done on the Chimera, the way the Chimera was realized, I mean, I feel like art always just depicts the Chimera as lion body, random goat head sticking out, snake tail, and they could have easily gone with that but instead they created this really unique take on a chimera was one creature that had all the aspects of those creatures. It had that body of a lioness. It had the horns of a goat. It had the scales of a snake and the fangs uh, and it breathed fire. It had the uh, crown of a cobra, right? The, the way that the, VFX artists realized the Chimera was just like really cool. And so I hope that as we go forward, hopefully with the series in future seasons, as we get to some weird stuff from mythology that like, really you only, we only have like vases to look at as reference for how they should look, that we could get some really interesting um, designs from uh, the visual effects department, from the art department on the show in realizing that, uh, and that was kind of my favorite part of episode four. I think, to episode four, as Grover and Annabeth and Percy are now on their quest, and really, and getting into it, this is where we started to see this trio come into their own as friends. We had that little moment on the train where they're talking to each other, uh, we have we start to get a little bit more about Grover and Annabeth characters when they're talking about the arch being a temple to Athena, and Grover commenting on the uh, the bison um, and like Western expansion ideas. There, we just start to get a lot more about Annabeth and Grover as characters and see them bonding with Percy in episode five. I mean. Adam Copeland as Ares is definitely a standout there. His scene with Grover that we get in the diner after Percy and Annabeth go to um, Waterland was fantastic. And again, it's one of those where we didn't really get that in the book because we were stuck with Percy's POV. And so seeing Grover really challenging Ares there, um, like... Just, it was a great scene. And I think for me, I've always liked Grover as a character, but he was never one of my favorite characters in the series. This show changed how I look at Grover. And uh, like Ariam e. Samhadri's portrayal of Grover, just, I, I really like him. I think he's a fantastic character. I see a lot more of like what the value that he brings to the trio in this adaptation more than I ever saw. Uh, in the books. And uh, I'm really glad for that. I think the next time I go back and like reread the Percy Jackson series and and read Grover, I'm going to see this version of Grover in my head now, um, just because that's how big of an impact he had. Obviously, with episode five, we had some great Perseveth moments as they go to Waterland, and we really see their bond start to form as a duo separate from Grover since Grover stayed behind. Episode six, uh, I know, was a controversial one in the fandom with the uh, Lotus Hotel. I think the overall vibe that a lot of the fandom has kind of said is that the fun of that scene was just kind of lacking, that they focused a lot more on the tension of the Lotus hotel and the drama rather than the fun of it by them immediately walking in and knowing what this was and remembering like the odyssey. I love the line about Percy um, having read the graphic novel version of the odyssey rather than the regular version. Great. That was just like a great little joke in there. The English teacher in me really enjoyed that. And I, 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 I But I do understand why they made that choice. And I think also a lot of the fandom was just like so hyper-focused on like, is there going to be a Nico, Bianca clue that that kind of like overshadowed the episode itself? Um, but I thought lin while Miranda did a great job as Hermes in that episode. We got some interesting things for Grover set up with like looking for Pan Uh, and his quest there um, that is going to be important going forward. And, uh, I mean, the standout of that episode, though, is the car sequence, (laughs) like Percy trying to drive a car out of that parking lot is hilarious. And then we obviously get the reveal of, oh, it's four pearls instead of three. And that was a big thing for a week where the fans were like, why is it four pearls instead of three, right? Um, Episode seven Going to the underworld was fantastic. I think, in terms of world building, that was definitely my favorite episode just because I was so afraid, especially after the movie, that the underworld would be realized looking like a kind of Judeo Christian idea of the underworld rather than the like gray waste. Uh, that the greco-roman underworld is supposed to look like and so having it be like a lot of desert or these like ash-filled forests when we went to like asphodel um was really cool and it visually looked like a lot of like how i had imagined some of the things in the underworld but also did some things that i never would have thought of like having hades palace be an upside down mountain right as the inverse of the Mount Olympus, right? Things like that were just really cool. Uh and I thought they used the volume technology really well in that episode. I know some people thought like the underworld felt empty. And I'm like, <laughs> it's the underworld. It's supposed to feel lifeless and empty, right? That made sense to me. Um but I think people wanted to see more like spirits or ghosts um existing in the underworld, I guess. But I really enjoyed that episode for the world building. And then this last week with the finale, I mean, the way that they're able to pack in like under 40 minutes, they were able to pack so much story into the episode, we got flashbacks to Luke and Percy training, we were able to get uh, them, uh, Percy bringing the lightning bolt, uh, like fighting Ares, right? <laughs> that at the beginning of the episode, and then bringing the helm to Electo, and then bringing the master bolt to Olympus, getting to see Olympus looking very much like Naboo uh, from Star Wars for some reason, right? Not for some reason, Naboo is very Greco-Roman inspired, right? But uh, that's just what it reminded me of. Just like another cool world-building realization of a place that we needed to see. Getting the late Lance Riddick's performance as Zeus, where he is strong, strong, uh and confident but also scary at the same time just wonderful work um from all the actors there in that scene when poseidon saved percy right and then we still have he needs to go back they need to figure out who the lightning thief is the reveal of luke that fight at the end we get like we get to see backbiter in live action uh luke's sword all these like really cool moments all packed into that final episode. It didn't feel rushed, but it also like, it, it didn't feel rushed. Like we were putting too much in that final episode. It felt like the right way to wrap up the, the season. I think the only complaint that I have is just that we haven't gotten a confirmation that a season two is being made. I mean, we know that the show at, um, at least in its first week is, um, was performing in terms of views on the level of, like, Loki Season 2 and Secret Invasion, like recent Marvel shows, which are the kind of big tentpole shows for Disney+. And so hopefully with with that, compared to the fact that this show is probably cheaper to make (laughs) than those Marvel shows uh, because they had, like, less big-name actors, um, less CG, right? All those things. Hopefully, that means that we can soon get a green light for season two. And I mean, if I were Disney, I would probably green light seasons two and three because these actors are getting older. (laughs) If you've seen any of the press stuff with uh, the actors for Percy, Grover, and Annabeth, then you've seen that within a, like a year or two of filming, they already look a lot older, especially Walker Scoville, who plays Percy. And so I would greenlight seasons two and three, film them back to back, <laughs> so that way you can uh, keep them looking a little younger. Also, because season uh, three would would be potentially based on the third book, which takes place only six months after the second season. So it's not like or the second book. So it's not like the year gap that you have between the first and second book. But yeah, overall, I need more of the show. Fantastic. Hopefully we can increase the budget just a little bit so we can do a little bit more practical stuff um, where and a little bit less volume work, right? But keep the show going. Um, I don't know if it's realistic to expect that we could ever get like, Heroes of Olympus being adapted after this. But at the very least, I hope that with the popularity of the show, the time and care that Rick Riordan, um, Jonathan E. Steinberg, and all the other creators have put into the show, that we could hopefully get five seasons of this show and get the original Percy Jackson series adapted, because that would be really cool. And who knows? Maybe we are in the right timeline to <laughs> the the right universe to get adaptations of everything that Rick has ever done um, for Percy and that extended universe. Um, who knows? Maybe we, in like 10 years, we could be sitting here and enjoying a Chalice of the Gods, like season six of the show after we've gotten heroes of olympus adaptations and we've gotten magnus chase adaptations who knows um but yeah overall great adaptation i really hope that we can keep going with this show and uh yeah i hope that you enjoyed it too Well, thank you so much for joining me today as I rambled on and talked about Percy Jackson and the Olympians season one. If you are listening and enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. And if you are really loving it, dropping a review for the pod would be awesome as well. Also, if you have a friend who would like the podcast, make sure to share it with them so we can grow our little community here. Next week, to get in the Madam Web spirit, I will be talking about one of my first introductions to the Marvel Universe Spider-Man the Animated Series, once again, I am Miller C. Lashbrook. You can find me on Twitter at Mill C. Lashbrook, on Instagram at Miller C. Lashbrook. And for more Pop Culture fay, you can head to my website, popculturefay.com for blog posts and more content. Finally, I hope that you have a fantastic day and a wonderful week, and I hope to find you the next time you wander into the forest of Pop Culture fay.